Crypto Biz, the business of crypto podcast. Keith Allen, Brad Nickel, and Austin Gaines back at it again to talk everything about the crypto business. Our standard disclaimer, we're not talking trading here. We're uh, talking about uh, the business behind this rapidly evolving blockchain and cryptocurrency industry. Glad to be at it again. We've been working on a series of ICO-related topics, and today we have agreed that we were going to discuss the ins and outs of tokenomics and also get into how to structure your sales when it's time to get to uh, get to your launch. Before we do that, Brad, a quick intro of our background and who we are. We're all partners at Black Knox Crypto Hodling Company. We help cryptocurrencies that do exist and cryptocurrencies that would like to exist in the form of ICOs or token events, get to market, find their best customers, position themselves in their strategy and make things work for them, make things successful for them. And Austin, keep us out of trouble. All right. Disclaimer. We are not financial advisors, attorney or tax advisors. So nothing that we say should be taken as investment advice. Because we're not given any. We're not. We are not. So typically, we like to lead off the show with some, you know, regulatory type news, but we've got a lot to cover today. So, you know, I think we can probably skip that and maybe just kind of jump right in. What do you think, guys? Sounds like a plan. So if you are working in this space, we do encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episodes of the Crypto Biz Podcast, especially the ones related to ICO planning and strategies, a lot of moving parts in there. And today, uh, we're diving into really the nucleus of your entire tokenized economy, and that is tokenomics. So a, a few different definitions of what tokenomics is, and, and we kind of discussed this. It's funny because we all had, uh, I think, different views of what we consider tokenomics to be. But at the end of the day, tokenomics, and there are a few definitions out there, but you know, tokenomics is, is really how you're going to tokenize your ecosystem. And you really need to sit down and plan methodically how you're going to do that and what the use of that token is going to be. Probably the biggest issue going through the community right now, and this obviously weighs in heavy on the regulatory environment, is whether your token is going to be considered a security or whether it's going to be considered a utility. And that's something you need to know before you move forward. Or a currency. Yes. So security, utility, or currency, and some could argue that currency would be a utility, right? It is a currency. It is a currency within your ecosystem. So. It, it that would be something that you could argue, but there is all there are also some that are just pure currency. But you're not likely having an ICO for a pure currency. So. Correct. Correct. So there you go. We have actually talked in some previous episodes about the difference between utility and security, and you know, obviously, security is going to be something that is related to stock or, or ownership in a business. Whereas a utility token is going to be used within uh, your ecosystem, uh, your ecosystem being what your business is, who your customers are, who your vendors are, really everybody who is interacting within the sphere of your business model. Yeah, I mean, um, and I think, you know, on the security side, we're, we're, we're still up in the air on what may or may not be defined as a security. And some of the actions you take during your ICO process 
um, can also then define you and put you into the um, pocket of being a security, even if you have some utility function for your token. But you should speak to your attorney about that. And we're, the, not, and, and, and we're not saying that one is necessarily better than the other. In fact, depending on what your business model is, that's how you're going to define that. You know, in the past, there's been a lot of people really trying to argue and justify that their token is a utility to avoid falling under the jurisdiction of some regulators. Meanwhile, there are now some platforms popping up to help deal specifically with securitized tokens because that's a viable play too. There's no question. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, there are, uh, you know, this is a worldwide uh, podcast and so there are countries around the world that have taken on the utility definition in Switzerland and others are, are good examples of that. But I think a good example of a utility token would be, for example, um, somebody like our client um, Encryption, who is using their DNA token in the context of their blockchain network for the purchasing of genetic data for the purposes of research and or other uses of genetic data within their ecosystem. Right. So and, that, and, and, and that ecosystem actually extends beyond just the data holder, which, you know, would be the individual and the person buying the data, which would be, you know, uh, say a research lab or a pharmaceutical lab that's trying to, to buy uh, the depersonalized data. But they're also working with uh, vendors who are providing the DNA testing kits who can be paid in in that DNA token and and working with other companies who uh, who have platforms that will also integrate with the ecosystem where the exchange of those goods or services is payable with their DNA token. Absolutely. Uh, further sequencing your genetics and ancestry related things. Um, health-related uh, services, all of those within the ecosystem will be utilizing the token for payment back and forth. And so it provides a great deal of utility for the DNA token within their network. Um, so I think that's a really good example of, of utility. And, you know, and we'll double down on the disclaimer that encryption is a client. Yes. Um, and then obviously a currency example, the biggest one is Bitcoin. It's purely used that way. And um, then there are any other number of tokens and coins who are a mix of currency and or utility. Um, and it really just depends on the use. I think the, the core bottom line kind of definition here is, does the token or coin have a function within what you are building if you are building something beyond forking an existing blockchain, right? Uh, to me, that, that seems to be kind of the baseline there is an actual use of this token within the network. That doesn't mean you won't be labeled a security, but it, it, that's what I think of when I think of a utility token. Yeah, I agree with that. Wholeheartedly, a lot of people get confused on, you know, what is actually a utility. And it's like you said, that's the simplest explanation you can get for what a utility is. If it helps work within your ecosystem of what you're trying to create based on the blockchain, it's utility. Right. Now, that's not the legal definition and what, you know, let's say the SEC is going to go by, but in, you know, the realm of this field, I think that that's a very good definition and easy to understand for everyone. It's kind of like, um, then there's, then there are ones that are using them kind of like uh, tokens at Chuck E. Cheese, right? It's almost a credit system for utilizing resources, say um, technical support resources in a network or uh, computing resources or storage resources. 
all of those are examples of a token being used for credits and or earning tokens for credits. And obviously there's some convertible currency value after the fact, but the primary use of the token is for transacting for a resource of some type on the network. Sure. And it could be, you know, another analogy would be in, in say a, in a video game, right? Where right. you're, you're earning tokens or coins for achievements in the game or getting to a different level. Uh, or maybe you can use those coins to buy uh, more protection, force field ammo, what, you know, whatever it is in, in the, in the game that you're playing. You know, even the reward systems that are in, you know, that are customarily with, say, credit card rewards or airline miles. This is essentially a similar use. It's not tokenized, but the same principle applies where, you know, you earn air miles um, with each with each flight. It's kind of a loyalty rewards system where you earn, you know, over time, thousands and thousands of miles, which can then be redeemed as another airline ticket or an upgrade or whatever. So there's a value to those points that are earned. And in the case of blockchain companies and cryptocurrencies, those reward points are delivered in the form of tokens or coins. Yep. And if you're really, it, look, if you really would like for what you're doing to have a utility function, if you're having to back into it and try to create ways that it will have a utility function, you're probably on the wrong path. Uh, I, I would assume there are great ways to turn um, use cases or platforms into utility functions for a token, but you're probably stretching your reasoning um, a little thin if you're backing your way into it. So we have kind of dove down a rabbit hole of utility versus currency and security, which we intended to do anyways. But you know, just to kind of clarify the definition of tokenomics, one definition would be a a, a way of self-funding within the crypto economy. So you're gonna you know have a sale. And then raise funds, sell those currencies to raise funds and fund your company to, you know, develop your platform and pay your team and your advisors and marketing costs, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second interpretation would be the deployment of that token within the ecosystem of, of a project like, the, like, like we just discussed. Yep. I'm not sure if this plays into it, but, you know, one of the calculations there that we're going to talk about um, in the next area in terms of the pricing um, is, you know, for an ICO, what are you raising? How much are you raising? And, and how much do you really need? Um, and that impacts the number of tokens and coins and all of those other things. But I guess I'm getting us off on a separate tangent. You are. That's okay. That's We're used to that. We've grown a customer to that with you, Brad. Mm -hmm. That's my job. Um, <laughs> great. <laughs> so, so it's, it's important you know, as, as we mentioned to, to really, before you get too deep in your process, in fact, um, the earliest part of your process should be defining what kind of token or coin you're going to create and how you intend it to be used. And we gave a great example with our client encryption. I think that illustrated it well. Now it's not enough just to say, okay, we're going to use this as a, as a utility to pay for goods and services within within our ecosystem. When it comes to funding your project, before you fund your project, you need to clearly illustrate how you intend uh, to use those funds, how you intend the token to be used, and how you intend to use the funds that you raise uh, if you uh, do indeed hold an ICO. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, I guess that was my cue. Sorry. Right. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know if you're laughing because you missed your mark or if you're laughing yes. because it sounds so obvious, but how many white no, papers no, have No, no, it does sound obvious. I'm at, laughing cuz I missed my cue. How many white papers have we seen where there's this, you know, 28-page, 32-page proposal and there's no illustration of how they plan to use the money? Use of funds. Look, if you were pitching a group of venture capitalists, they're going to damn well want to know how you're going to use the money. And the people buying tokens are no different unless they're just planning on dumping them. But the bottom line is that people that are buying tokens want to know how you're going to split this money up. How much are you going to pay the developers? What's going to marketing? What's going into what other, you know, other services and fees that you need to pay to outside vendors and services? How are you going to utilize the money? How do you justify the money you're raising? Are you, are you raising 25 million because the last five ICOs raised 25 million? And so you think that's the number to do? That's not the way to approach this. The way to approach this is what kind of money do you need to get through? Have you done a business plan and a financial plan? Do you really know what you need to succeed? Now, there's obviously a potential that you need... 15 million to get to where you want to be in two years, but you're going to raise 20 because you know what? Our projections are always wrong and that's, that's okay. But you certainly have to at least start defining for your audience and for yourselves, how you're going to use the funds. And it has um, to be right. As, as long as it's justified, it's okay. But it's still, you got to do it like Brad said for yourself too. You can't go into this process without knowing where you're going to allocate funds to or what how much you're going to need to be successful. Right. And it, and it, it, right. It can't be an arbitrary number because it's because, yeah. you know, you're going to be able to get uh, a new house and a Harley uh, out of it. And a girlfriend. Look how many. My wife won't let me. Look, um, look how many, you know, post ICO currencies we've had discussions with that don't have a clue what they're doing next. That leads me to a great uh, use that you need to be considering you know, a lot of them have not considered um, what it really costs to market and grow your business. Okay. So most are focused on the development side, which is hugely important, but a lot more goes into building your business and succeeding in a competitive marketplace than just building the platform, right? Oh, yeah. you, you, you need to build your team. You need infrastructure. You need marketing dollars and marketing is a huge, huge part of it. So you, yeah, you said, we, let's pause there real quickly though. Right. So the, the typical attitude that you will, well, not typical. I shouldn't say that. That sounds harsh. Just one, that, a, one, that, one that we encounter quite often. A common attitude amongst folks who have not lived on the business side of technology projects um, is that marketing is this disdainful yucky thing they don't want to touch well the bottom line is you cannot name a successful technology platform or project besides bitcoin that didn't have some form of marketing pr sales and business development in one form or another that helped drive them to that success um and it's a critical component of you being able to continue your vision for your project so Who's your customer? What are you going to get? How are you going to get to them? Another big thing that a lot of these people don't think about is, is that, yeah, okay, I need some marketing. I definitely agree. I'm going to budget for marketing, but nobody thinks about 
who's going to handle the sales calls? Who's going to who's going to handle partnerships and business development? Who's going to handle technical support? Are you going to sit on Discord all day instead of writing code? These are all things that that you've got to be conscious of and thinking of and factoring into your expenses. And that money can go away very quickly if you don't. Yeah. yeah and you got to get out of the mindset of you can do it all. Yeah, exactly. One thing you touched on, Brad, about the marketing and your outreach, you got to remember, this is a global industry, right? So it's a little different in the sense of, you know, a lot of tech firms would go after people, let's say in the States or in Europe, like you have to make sure you market a substantial amount of money for marketing because you have to have a global reach, not be successful if you don't get that global reach. Sure. I mean, just in terms of your, just in terms of your fundraising, uh, you need that. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get too, too far ahead, but uh, Brad, you made a comment a little while ago about, you know, if you're trying to back your way into how to use your token as a utility, you're probably approaching it wrong. The one thing you do want um, or can back end your way into is figuring out how many tokens and, and how to price them. Uh, and the way to do that is to first figure out through your, you know, with your business plan and a financial plan, what it's going to take to launch your business and grow your business over the next, you know, say three to five years, right? So once you've determined what you're going to raise in terms of funds, you can now back into how many tokens it's going to take to get to that valuation and what you want to price those tokens at. We don't have a magic number for what's the best number of tokens and we don't have a magic number for what's the best price of tokens we're actually diving into some research to to see if we can get some good metrics on that and and if you uh, as a listener have some some insight to that we'd we'd love to discuss it with you in our telegram brad throw out the telegram address well while i'm at it uh that would be uh ask black Knox. And you can go to t.me forward slash ask black knocks, all one word. And that'll load it in your telegram. B-L-A-C-K-N-O-X. All right. Thank you. Very good. So, yeah, that's that's how you can uh, arrive at the number of tokens and the amount you want to price those tokens at. Now, in terms of use of funds, you need to set aside whatever it's going to take to develop your project. And that's, uh, again, uh, a factor that you're going to use to determine what you need to build this thing. And realize that you need to set aside a portion to hire your team. You need to, you know, and any infrastructure, you need to set aside a portion to pay uh, advisors and experts that you may be using throughout the process. And you need to set aside a portion for marketing. Brad, is there, is there a magic number or percentage that, that, you like to reference as a benchmark? Well, I typically reference on the marketing side, things like, um, you know, uh, reinvest 20, 15 to 20% of your revenues, but that never gets there. It's usually five to 10%. Right. Um, well, we have some clients who are setting aside 25%, seen some do as much as 30 to even 35%. That's money well spent. And if it doesn't go in the short term, it's not going to go to waste because you're going to use it you know, not just to pay your marketing team, um, but you're going to use that towards your advertising costs. You're going to use that towards going to uh, trade shows and events and putting up uh, booze if you're going to exhibit somewhere. You can roll that into your PR expenses. So um, that money uh, doesn't go as far as you think it will. So you should always tack on some additional points for it because it really, really 
um, has a direct relationship to both your short-term success in terms of uh, your pre-launch efforts and your launch efforts, and most especially in your long-term uh, success. That's right. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive into uh, the process of raising those funds to get there. And there's no hard and fast rule that says you need to do an ICO. And there are plenty of uh, existing companies and brands who are not doing ICOs, who are really utilizing blockchain and see blockchain as an opportunity to uh, expand or improve their uh, existing business and are tokenizing it to you know be consistent with the rest of the crypto community. We have heard talk of airdrops and other token generating events and you know airdrops are something that started out as something that I think a lot of people could embrace and at the current time seem to be something that um, is met with some skepticism and, and raises some eyebrows. So you really want to be conscious of how you're getting your tokens into the ecosystem, whether you're going to do it with a traditional sale or ICO, uh, or whether you're going to uh, appropriate those coins or distribute those coins uh, in a in a different way. Yes, yes. Um, look, I mean, getting your coins out to market, from our perspective, you know, you've got multiple stages of selling them, and then you've got opportunities later for utilizing them to pay for things. But, you know, think through what you're doing and talk to your legal counsel about the best way to handle any other um, ideas you might have for bounties or airdrops or anything else. Brad, how do you feel about just, let's say you're an active business or, or, or at least you've done some work and your ecosystem is, is being built. How do you feel about allocating tokens to members who are active in that ecosystem or that you want to be active into that ecosystem as an incentive to, to get them to actually participate in that ecosystem? Well, I think if there's a business model around them having tokens and utilizing it and getting the business flowing, there's probably a good uh, justification for something like that. I, I Obviously, again, you have to talk to your attorney, but to me, that's a bit different than kind of the incentivized or free general public giveaways, right? If there's a reason for these people to have tokens because they function within what you're trying to create, it makes complete sense to me. Okay. And I guess we should throw the hard fork in there as as another option that uh, some people are using that uh, doesn't necessarily require an ICO. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of options there for forking exact existing networks and utilizing that network to build a base of existing token holders. And that's certainly, you know, what Bcash and, and some of the others have done to try to get themselves a base of users so that there's some functionality um, being utilized by a network. All right. So if you're thinking of a fork rather than launching a, a new token or, you know, creating your own ERC-20 version of, of your new token. Don't overlook the masternode model. So maybe, we, we, maybe we as a company, we as a firm and we as individuals um, really love masternodes. Um, and um, for those that aren't informed, masternodes are somewhat of a, a similar to what you think of when you think of a proof of stake. So essentially you are utilizing coins that you lock up um, and make available computing resources at a much lower power usage than what you would do if you were mining, say, for Bitcoins. Um, you lock up a number of coins, and those number of coins will qualify you for what's called a masternode. And then that masternode is used to process and verify and validate transactions and blocks on the network. In return for locking up those coins, 
um, the holder of that master node is rewarded with um, a percentage of every block's reward coins. So, for example, uh, one of our clients, GoBite, is a master node coin. And every time a block um, is rewarded, the miners receive half of the 15 coins or 7.5 coins, and master node holders receive 7.5 coins out of each block. Not every master node holder, a round robin of master node holders receive those coins. So why is this an attractive model for potentially getting to market? Um, we see master nodes as an attractive model for raising uh, funds to get a vision to market and a technology and a platform to market because of what it gives to the investor. Um, it's very similar to compound interest. Um, and the idea is, is that if I am generating 100 or 500 or 1,000 new coins every month because I hold a number of masternodes, I am then generating more value, printing money, um, you could say, um, to offset any loss in value in that coin from market conditions. Um, but depending on, because of market conditions being volatile, I know that I am gaining more value every day. Um, and to an investor, especially a private round investor, that could be a very attractive model. So masternodes could be used from a fork um, perspective, but they could also be used in an ICO, which is something we're um, looking at very strongly. And we as a firm are um, heavily investing in masternodes. That said, this is not investment advice. <laughs> Do your own research. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me add, let me add this, Brad. Um, another reason that we like the masternode model is because it really incentivizes the holder of those masternodes to hold their coins rather than dump them. Exactly. And that you get a lot more of your market locked up because they're getting rewards. Exactly. Um, that means they're not being dumped on the market. One more note on. Uh, Go ahead. Masternodes. Masternodes also help your investors understand what you're doing. And we found it a little easier for an investor to comprehend the idea of a masternode um, because they are seeing a return immediately. You know, if they buy enough that own their masternode, then they see, oh, okay, no matter what happens in the market, like Brad alluded to, I am still going to be making somewhat of a return on my initial investment. And That's right. that ideology is really, we found help, you know, the beginning investor in crypto understand that this may be, you know, something that they would rather do because it has this built in revenue stream. Yes. So, and, I mean, and, look, you, Hey, if, Hey pal, if you give me 10 ETH, I'm going to give you a thousand coins versus Hey pal, if you give me 10 ETH, I'm going to give you a thousand coins. And in a year that's going to be 5,000 coins. Yeah. Right. At whatever value those coins are at. And, exactly. and, and then there is the other disclaimer that says, Hey, those aren't investments. If it's a utility coin, um, you're buying utility coins. So, right. you know, keep that in mind and you most definitely need to consult with an attorney who uh, has some knowledge of this space. So let's, for the sake of this discussion, let's assume that the company who is launching and they've, you know, you figured out your tokenomics and now it's time to start raising money and you're going to go for a traditional uh, ICO. We've seen time and time again, there's, you know, typically a uh, pre-sale with discounted coins pr prior to the public sale, you know, the, the public offering. But 
um, we feel that it's v- extremely advantageous to have a private sale even prior to your pre-sale. Brad, why don't you go into why we think that's such a valuable exercise? Because you will fail if you don't have a private sale unless you have pockets full of money. Um, look, your, your private sale funds the large amount of money you will have to spend on marketing for your ICO to be a success. Um, it's, a, it's a really critical component unless you already have funding. If you already have funding, if you already have a market, if you already have an audience, if you already have people anxious to buy your um, tokens, then you know, you're probably not going to need as much and you may not need a private sale. For everybody else who is broke and wants to pull off their vision to change the world, um, you're really probably going to have to have a private sale. And um, it's a, that can be a difficult process because you need a network, you need connections, you need people who know people who are willing and ready to invest in private sales of ICOs. And the private sale happens because you're offering typically 50% off of the price you're going to put on the public ICO sale. Um, So people feel like they can um, get a good deal. Now, the other thing to make sure you do in a private sale is lock in those private sale customers for a period past the time when your tokens may or may may be on an exchange. because if not, so there's no quick dump. So yeah. that those people that got the 50% discount don't do a quick dump, uh, which we've recently experienced with clients. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, people are learning lessons as this process evolves. It's funny because we called it a traditional ICO, Keith, but, you know, traditional. Of, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 10 minutes old. Yeah. Um, I remember when my grandfather did it. Well, let's uh, let's say like this. Speaking, speaking of speaking of traditional, that private round that private round of fundraising can come from traditional methods. It does not have to be in a coin offering. Right? Oh, that is be, that is correct. True. That and, is correct. There's and, a lot of there's a lot of VCs that want to be in uh, ICOs. And don't overlook that opportunity to find. You know, we we have a pretty simple, uh, what should I say, ideology on on taking equity investors and, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, why would I take on an equity investor in a, you know, if I'm launching an ICO, I don't have to give it up. Well, if that equity investor can bring some value to your company, uh, be it expertise, be it their network, whether that network is to other investors or that network is to people or businesses that can help your ecosystem, then there's value that goes beyond their dollars. Uh, that's, that's really, I think is really worth, considering but start with having them be private sale investors and then if they push for equity have that discussion but a lot of these traditional money folks venture capitalists angel investors institutional money are anxious to be in icos and so if you have connections you have a network you know people that are in that world and that's true of of family money as well you may not have to give up that equity. They just may want a discounted price on the ICO. The idea of the private sales, you need to get your funds in the door early so you can fund the rest of the process. And that's going to give you, that, that is, that is going to give you the tools you need to really succeed in your ICO. And, you know, we, Brad talked about having marketing dollars to be able to push, you know, through your, through your pre-launch and your launch. It's also good to, 
continue, if you haven't started yet, your development process on the actual product and platform because you will find people are much more receptive to buying into what you're selling if you're actually a work in progress rather than just a white paper. Right. And you need people 24-7 managing community. You need to be attending events and speaking at those events and sponsoring events. I mean, it's, it is not cheap. It's not cheap. I mean, we typically advise our clients to target a two to $4 million private sale leading into that uh, pre-sale. And if you can do that, it is really going to make your life easier. It's not going to make it a slam dunk. It doesn't make it a sure thing that, that you're going to succeed with the rest of your fundraising efforts, but it certainly gives you some working capital to get started and, uh, and most especially to put into the marketing efforts and expenses you're going to need to get to the shows, to get to the events, to build the community, to run the ads, um, and, and really get things moving. You gotta, you gotta, you have to generate momentum. You got to generate something before you can build momentum off of it. And, and, and that doesn't typically happen without some funds to drive it. Absolutely. So we've gone over the private sale and addressing the need for funds to start. And then our next step in the model is to move into the pre-ICO sale. And in this, we like to continue offering a discount for our client, our clients to, you know, get people in the door. Still, we recommend that during the pre-ICO process, you are pricing your coins at 70% of your standard token price of what you want your token to sell for on the ICO market. We feel that during the pre-ICO period, so this you, is when you, a lot you're, of your sales. So you're saying like a 30% discount? Yeah, 30% discount. And our ideology on this is that a lot of the sales happen in the pre-ICO part of your ICO. This is when you can really get a lot of excitement around what you're building. You have some money from your private sales, so you're into development. You have something to show. Hopefully, you have something to show you know, for what you've been doing and where the money has been going. And you can really gain a lot of momentum and excitement during this pre-ICO segment that you're going for. And we have found that, you know, pick up the steam and you can really take advantage of that discount you're offering and get a lot of people to purchase your tokens then. Yeah. So, and, you know, something else on the real quick, sorry, Keith, on the budgeting side of this is when you're doing your financial planning, remember, you're not going to sell um, a majority of your tokens at your full price of your ICO in the final phase. So factoring in that 30% discount and that 50% discount is important. And the other thing to factor in is, is there will be um, big money people potentially that you get their attention and they're going to come in to negotiate. And um, you, you need to be prepared to decide whether you're willing to negotiate or you're going to stand your ground on the pricing. Um, most of your other investors would probably prefer you stand your ground. So I think that that's really important because in all industries, I feel that this happens that people forget that people are going to come in behind them and say, Hey, we're willing to buy this huge chunk of what you're offering, but what are you going to do for me? And so, right. And, process, and so you don't want to be ready. You don't want to piss off your earlier investors and say, you know, how come this guy got it? You know, somebody else got in at a, you know, at the same price I did and it's later. Um, now and there remember, are ways. This is the blockchain. Right. And it just takes math to figure out that other people paid a different price. Right. So, so here's a way that you can potentially prepare for that. Um, let's say your private sale, let, let's say you're targeting a $2 million private sale and you sold 
a million and a half in your private sale. And you may or may not have a hard deadline on that and, and deadlines, you know, create some FOMO. So you could either have a deadline based on, you know, I'm going to create that with either a timing deadline or an inventory limit, right? You know, we're going to sell a limited amount of tokens at this discounted price, or we're going to sell at this discounted price from this date to this date period, end of, end of, you know, offer. Hard cap. You right. Wanna... But you could also put in minimums, say, uh, on that private sale, you can get that 50 off that 50% discount if you buy a minimum of 10,000 units at a time or 50,000 at a time, depending on, you know, what, what you're doing. So you can set that parameter in there that leaves that open. So say you're, uh, you're now moving into your public sale, or I mean, into your pre-sale, and you have somebody who's trying to negotiate in for those, uh, for that 50% discount. Well, we'll offer you that discount, but you need to buy a minimum of 100,000 tokens or 50,000 tokens, whatever you, you set your, your parameters at. That's a way to keep that, keep that offer available and, you know, gives you something to negotiate with. Yep. Um, another factor here that we've really got to consider is what are you basing the pricing on? Are you, are you basing your pricing and your total raise on a, a fiat currency, a, a the US dollar or whatever else it might be? Or are you basing it on um, a number of ETH? So five ETH equals 2000 of my Brad token. So the, the reason that's critical- Wait, there's a Brad that, token? There is say, a Brad token. I'm gonna get I'm me gonna, some of those. I'm going to reveal the ETH address at the end of the show, <laughs> and I'll be giving away 200 ETH for every one ETH that's contributed. <laughs> oh, no, that's Twitter. Sorry. No. Yeah. Please fix this Twitter. Um, no. Um, what's important here is, is that because we're in a volatile market, if you base it on US dollars and you put a perception in the heads of the buyers that they are paying X ETH for X value in US dollars. And then while you're holding on to their ETH because you haven't issued tokens yet, the value of Ethereum plummets um, or goes way up. Now you have a consideration for what you are actually distributing to the folks who have bought the tokens. We saw that with Simple Token. Um, they bonused up their users when the price in Ethereum changed. Um, and it's something you really have to consider whether your benchmark is uh, crypto or your benchmark is U.S. Fiat. dollars or whatever it may be. Any other fiat, right? Yep. So when an investor pays and buys in, it's going to be at that whatever they paid on that day. And they should get their tokens based on whatever was was assigned that value. So I think what you're saying is, do you do you want to list your token price? based on a cryptocurrency, say ETH or BTC or, you know, um, say it's 0.15 ETH per token. Do you want to do that just as an ETH price uh, or is it safer? And in my mind, it's safer to say it is the equivalent, the ETH equivalent of whatever your fiat currency benchmark is. Well, the, here's the thing. If you keep it straight ETH, when the value of ETH changes, you don't have as much problem because it's not a perception of how much you're raising, right? I want to raise $25 million. I have to raise 25 US 
dollars in order to accomplish my goals, right? Whereas if you say I'm raising 50,000 ETH and you say I'm giving 500 tokens for every one ETH, then that parameter never changes, right? Right, but you're just giving... But but your 50,000 ETH um, could be 50,000 could could be $50,000 or it could be $25,000 or it could be a hundred thousand or a million. Right. right? So that's the quandary, right? So, and and it's really one that you're just going to have to deal with because either you're going to have to be willing to change the number of tokens received for the ETH that you are given or whatever crypto you take, you are given if the value in the U S dollar of that crypto Ethereum changes or you straight flat say, I am raising 50,000 ETH, no matter what, here's the exchange rate at private sale, the pre-sale and the public sale. Right. But if you say, if you're doing it relative to fiat and you say, we're going to raise, we're we're trying to raise $20 million and we're going to do it at a token price. You know, we're going to have X number of tokens that are going to be priced at the ETH equivalent of 25 cents in US dollar fiat, right? So regardless of where ETH is, you're benchmarking against that fiat and you're going to raise, you're still going to raise the same way to solve the the, fiat raise. Yes. You're still going to raise the same amount you need to, regardless of the volatility of the crypto market. That's I think that that's the option in establishing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I math all the time. Yeah. But I think that that third option is kind of what we've been seeing. Yes. So you do some math, but you can keep it simple. The, the ETH to your coin ratio, you're taking on a lot of the risk in your ICO to say, I am just hedging on what Ethereum is going to be by the time we are done. I'll ride whatever roller coaster comes in and the volatility of the market until my ICO is complete. And that's it. Right. Yeah, but you also yeah. have you also have the option when you're taking on the when you're when you're getting that funding early on in your pre-sale and your and your private sale and your pre-sale, nothing says you have to keep that money parked in ETH. You can put it in you you can put it in other in other cryptos, you could put it in fiat, you can put it under your mattress, you can do whatever you want with it. At the end of the day, you still need to have it to to launch your company when the time comes. But it doesn't have to be parked in ETH and it doesn't have to ride with the market, or at least it doesn't all have to ride with the market if you don't want it to. Yep. I agree. All right. Well, I think we covered a lot today, guys. Tokenomics and um, structuring your sale and getting yourself ready to. Yeah. And we even <laughs> snuck in a little, we even Shout snuck in a little master notes. If, um, if that's not a good enough hint that there's going to be more content on master notes coming your way, um, you, you, you can, you can bank on it. Yes, we um, we've got a lot of interest in that space. Anything else you want to add on masternodes? Yeah, Brad, do you have anything you, know? you want to discuss on masternodes? Get about. <laughs> yeah, it's seven more seconds. Uh, I was going to give him fifteen. Oh, you guys are so generous. Um, no, I'm good with it, man. I I just really, you know, frankly, I, I have to say that I think that the masternode model and the, and potentially the model of proof of stake that Ethereum is pursuing. Um, and some other coins have already pursued with proof of stake and do a lot to solve problems that we have with the crypto space, right? For example, 
we had these attacks this week um, or last week, I guess they were um, against a number of coins getting um, 51% of the hash rate on those coins, right? And giving people the ability to falsify transactions on the blockchain and steal money from exchanges. And so from my perspective, beyond the energy consumption and the hardware and everything else that goes into mining, these to me, proof of stake and masternode models make a lot of sense. Um, they solve a lot of problems. Um, they provide an incentive for people to hold on to coins instead of dumping them. They invest people into um, a network and a model, whether it's utility or currency or whatever it is and makes people want to participate and help promote and get um, a coin noticed. And so from my perspective, I firmly believe that these can solve a lot of problems. And I think there's going to be some really cool and interesting things coming. We're seeing so many coins now doing things to make it easier to set up a master node, um, to make it easier to manage. It's really a technical uh, process right now. There's some really cool things coming. And there are a lot of analysts in the market saying that the next you know, big wave for crypto will be masternodes. So we're here to, to see what we can do with it. All right. And with that, we're going to call it a wrap. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And if that's bad, we don't want to hear that, but we would love to hear uh, what you might be interested in having us cover in, in terms of topics on the show. You can do so by chiming in on our Telegram channels, CryptoBiz, t.me forward slash CryptoBiz podcast, one word. And of course, if you have the desire to talk masternodes or anything else related to building, launching, or marketing your blockchain and crypto-related business, you can reach us on Telegram at t.me forward slash askblacknox. ASK. About masternodes because they will change the world. <laughs> no, no, it's still just ask Black Knox. Ask Black Knox. A S K B L A C K N O X. For Brad Nickel and Austin Gaines, my name's Keith Allen. Thanks for joining us on Crypto Biz, the business of crypto podcast. <laughs>